Today's word of God is from James 4. James wrote a letter to the Jewish Christians. They were prone to fighting, jealousy, and criticizing and judging their neighbors. They blamed external factors for their fights instead of reflecting on their own sins. So the author James here clearly states that these fights were not due to the external factors, but because of the greed in their hearts in verse 1. We see a lot of such fights taking place in church these days. There are fights among Christians in church too, although you may not know about these things if you are solely dedicated on worshiping and serving God, as you should. (laughs) But there are people who are not like that and like to fight and create division in God's church. Also among non-believers, there are people who like to fight and judge. James is pointing this out in today's scripture. He explains that this is due to human desire and greed. Fights and quarrels are externalized expressions of one's internal desires. Verse 2 and 3 says, You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When we have the wrong motives, we feel our sinfulness and are not able to ask God in specific. Some people recognize their wrong motives and desires, while some don't, because we're humans. One deaconess came to me for counseling on a fight that was ongoing in our church. As I listened to her, I couldn't help but notice that she was actually in the wrong. She was blinded by her own greed, and she went around stirring up church elders and other deaconesses. She said that she's in so much pain and that she didn't understand how these church people were doing so well in their lives. When she was done telling her part of the story, I quietly explained to her how Christians should live and how we should stand right with God. I wanted to see her, I wanted her to see for herself her own greed because even if I directly pointed out her mistakes, she wouldn't have understood. I only told her, if you truly seek God, keeping in mind what he wants and how Christians should live, your pains will disappear one day. She never came back. I pray that she will grow spiritually and understand this truth someday. Like this, many times we don't see our own mistakes. Because of our greed, because we ask God with the wrong motives, God doesn't give them to us. Prayers don't change God, but they change us. When you're faced with problems, you need to continue to pray to discover yourself and your motives. Verse 4 is addressed to adulterous people. Those who ask because of their worldly desires are like those who, who committed adultery to God. It says, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. The actions of evil people that pursue worldly values, immoral relationships, unrighteous customs, and immoral interests make them enemies of God. Verse 5 asks, 
Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Doesn't this question feel a bit out of context? If we look into this deeper, we can understand. The author of this book, James, points out the fact that our greed and wrong motives cause fights and quarrels. And then in verses 5 and 6, he's pleading the readers with the fact that God loves us so much. He's a jealous God. He's saying, don't you know, God gave us his son to be a sacrifice of blood for our sins to make us holy. Don't you understand this love? He's saying, if you know this, why do you sin? Why do you sin out of your desires? Us humans, though, sometimes know our own motives, but sometimes don't. Sometimes we just don't know. I've also made mistakes in the past in front of God without knowing it was a mistake. I, I just didn't know then. When my daughter went through surgery in the U.S., I prayed for 40 days and asked God to remove the need for the surgery. I asked God to heal her directly. I had previously experienced God healing me without using doctor's hands before. I couldn't imagine sending my little girl to the operation room. Just thinking about it brought pain in my heart. But God had a different plan. He made it so easy for us to find the best doctors and the right hospital. Our neighbors were shocked to see that we were able to secure one of the most renowned children's heart surgeons in the U.S. They said that even the rich and famous had to wait for at least a year to get his care. They marveled at God's grace that poured on our family. We were miraculously connected with this doctor, and suddenly everything was taken care of. This miracle alone served as a testimony to our acquaintances. But still, my heart sank when my child went, to the, went into the surgery room. I knelt down in the hallway of the waiting room and cr started crying out to God. God, please save my daughter. God, please save my daughter. I cried out so loud that everyone in the building could hear me. You know that I'm normally not like that. But then th there was nothing else on my mind at that moment but my precious little girl's life. After three hours of surgery, the doctor came out of the room and told us that the surgery went so well without any complications. He noted that it was very rare to be completely healed like this in a single surgery. But I had prayed for 13 years since my daughter was born with a heart condition. I asked God specifically to heal her without any complications. Then God led us to the U.S. and opened doors for her to receive the best treatment of the day. What an amazing God. And how grateful I should have been. But, but I didn't see. I was solely focused on the fact that my daughter had to go through a surgery. The fact that she was born with a heart condition. I focused on the negative side of things and kept crying out to God. Later, I realized that this was a mistake. After we finished our conversation with the doctor after her surgery and saw her entering the recovery room, as we were leaving the waiting room, 
the Holy Spirit spoke to my ears. I left my own son in the darkness for three days to save you. I spent those three days in immeasurable pain. Do you understand this? Even then I didn't get it. I wondered why God was saying this to me at that point in time. I, I just couldn't understand. After this, I kept asking God, God, what do you mean? What do you mean by this? What are you trying to say to me? Because I was spiritually immature, I was not able to understand. But from time to time, I, I asked God, God, what did you mean? After a very long time, a very long time, after 10 years of time, I knew I was able to understand that I had made a mistake. Otherwise, there's no way God would have criticized me. It was a criticism because he asked, Do you know? Do you know how painful it was for me to leave my son in the shadows of death for three days? Do you know how crazy painful that was? Do you? Back then in the hospital, I, I answered, I, I don't know, God. I'm, I'm not you. Years later, while I was praying, I realized that God was criticizing me because he saw the motives of my heart. Even when I poured out my grace in your life, even when I healed your daughter through surgery without any common complications, instead of thanking me, why do you complain in your heart? Why do you ask me, God, why did you let my daughter go through surgery? Why did you let her go through pain? Deep inside my heart, I must have blamed God. Otherwise, he wouldn't have criticized me like that. I truly believe this. And after this realization, I started repenting. I didn't know that I should have thanked God for, for leading us. Instead, I was focused on my own desires. The desire to have my daughter to have perfect health without any pains. I was praying to God out of my own desire. And this is how humans are. God was able to see through my heart and my motives that I didn't even realize myself. This is why he criticized me. Back then, I wasn't able to understand God's will. I believe that the criticism towards the Jewish Christians in James 4 was similar to the criticism I received from God. I was able to recognize the semblance as I was reading this chapter. God loves you so much. He's a passionate, jealous God. Then why are you fighting among yourselves? For what purpose? When you fight, your church is divided. Your families are destroyed. Why are you fighting? This is the word of God. After this, in verse 6, James says, he gives us more grace. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Remember, God will give you more grace. If you lay down your desires and stop fighting, that's humbleness. God shows favor to the humble. This is the context of this verse. Verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Again, not easy to connect to what was said in previous verses. If you read this many times, you could understand. If you read this, if you read this again and again and pray again and again. Submit yourselves to God means to obey God's word. Why does he say resist the devil in the same verse? James chapter 3, 14 through 15 will help you understand this better. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. In other words, he's saying that your fights and quarrels are demonic. That's why he says, resist the devil. When he says, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil, he means that fights and quarrels are the actions of the devil. So stop these demonic acts. And this is how you resist the devil. This is how you submit yourselves to God. This verse is followed by, come near to God. Again, come near to God means to obey God's word. When he says, resist the devil, he's saying that we shouldn't engage in acts like fighting and quarreling that please the devil, but come near to God. Please and obey God by loving and forgiving others. In every situation, forgive and forget. The devil will flee from you. The devil likes to provoke us to fight and quarrel. When we love and forgive, he can't do that to us. This is how you resist the devil. When we obey God's word, the devil will flee from you. That's why we should come near to God. In verse 8, it says, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The double-minded people are those who desire both God's grace and their own selfish ambition. James is saying that if you have a double-minded heart, purify your heart and repent. The way to fix the problem of fights and quarreling is to obey God's word, to respond to God's grace. God has given me so many blessings. How could I fight with people? Fights and divisions are everywhere. We see divisions in churches. We see divisions in politics. Regardless of such fights and divisions, God's people kneel down to God no matter what. This is to have a heart of humbleness. It's the key to resolving fights and divisions. To stop fighting and to be humble. To kneel down. Verse 9 means that we should repent. Verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He's again saying that we should be humble. Don't fight and quarrel out of your selfish ambitions, but be humble. Come near to God and obey His word. Even if you don't feel like forgiving, if you humble yourself, forgive and forget to obey God's will, God will lift you up. This is what verse 10 is saying. And this is sacrifice. Through such, such sacrifice, God is glorified. God also promised wealth, glory, and life to those who humble themselves and obey Him. This means that He will lead their lives to make them glorious and honorable. In so many parts of the Bible, God said that He will make only the humble honorable. 
regardless of whichever fights or situations you may face. Lay down your thoughts to God. Think about God's will and obey. This is how you submit yourself to God. This is how you obey God. This is true humbleness. Let us be humble like this, whether it be a small fight or a big one in your workplace, in your community, or in your church, or your family, among your siblings. Let us reflect on ourselves. Lord, through the book of James, teaches us exactly how we should live. Lastly, in verse 17, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. God is saying, I've explained to you enough. If you heard this and understood this, go do the right thing. If you don't, it's a sin. Sometimes we don't really know our own motives, like I didn't realize many years ago. We could make honest mistakes. I say this from my own experience that God is so patient with us. For so many years, he waited until I was able to understand. Back then, I didn't understand why, would, why he would say that to me. He waited until I understood. He waited until I came back to God's word. This is God's deep and wide love. Let us thank God for his love and go back to him when criticism and judgment blind us. Let us pray.